Love those memory verses. It is so good. They just encourage me, and I hear from a lot of people, that's actually their favorite part of the service, better than everything else. So uh, little children th- shall lead them. It's, it's really, really good. Keep doing that. Okay, today's a new month. It's the third, so I chose for, our, for a proverb from chapter 3. I chose one of my absolute favorites, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. What a great promise. Lisa and I took that passage and um, put that on the bottom of a little baby chair and gave it to some friends a long time ago when they had their first child. And uh, it's a very, very meaningful passage. Anyway, so we've been in this series, Thrive, Thriving, Not Surviving. We're not here to survive. We're here to thrive. And uh, no matter what's going on around us, the Lord wants us to thrive. He wants more than survival. He wants us to thrive because you were meant to thrive. Did you realize that? The Lord's intention for you is you were meant to thrive. And uh, we have one passage, a short passage, that's been the primary text for the whole series. And I've been reading that each time. That's in Psalm 1, the very first psalm in the first three verses. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And the result of that is that he shall be be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Man, that's a great picture. Verse 3 is in particular, is God's picture of you and me thriving. It's just really, really good. And in that passage and in our first, first time of studying, we found uh, this list of how, ways, for, ways for us to thrive. First off, it, it, for Christians, we're not supposed to be like the people around us. Jesus put it this way. He said, we're in the world, but not of the world. And you can see that in John 17. We're supposed to be consumers. We're supposed to be people who take in God's word. We're supposed to be absorb, absorbing it, going and getting it and eating it, God's word. Um, because verse 2, but, in, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And as, as to worship, we're supposed to worship in spirit and in truth. The last two weeks we've been on that in particular, and we studied what that means. And uh, we, our example for how to, how to accomplish that was Jesus when he was actually on the cross. And, and there's this incredible um, psalm, Psalm 22, which was a psalm of King David that he penned. He wrote this down 500 years before Jesus. And this was hundreds of years before crucifixion, crucifixion even existed. And, it, and when you understand what that psalm is, read it understanding that this is a conversation and these are the thoughts of Jesus. It's almost a prayer between Jesus and the Father while he's on the cross, written 500 years before that. When you read it, you'll, you'll realize, oh, I recognize these phrases. I recommend these. I rec- recognize these these things that he's saying. It's just an amazing and and worship for us is so much more than just singing in church. Um, it's just so more. And how we know that was that Jesus was um, having a conversation with the Samaritan woman. Now the Jews and the Samaritans didn't get along. We've gone through that. Um, they worshipped completely different. They only believed that the, the first five books of the Old Testament were from God, and the rest they didn't recognize. The Jews, of course, had the entire Old Testament, and the Samaritans worshipped at Mount Gerizim. The Jews worshipped at, at the temple in Jerusalem. And, and for all of them, worship was very, very clearly lined out. Here's what worship looked like to them. They, they, they believed that you worshipped at a certain place, a temple, or on Mount Gerizim, um, the temple for, for the Jews, and that was in Jerusalem. They did it at specific dates and times, 
and it was in a very, very prescribed, specific way. It was blood being shed on an altar by a sacrificial animal, and it was done by a priest on behalf of the people. And um, Jesus was taking that whole understanding of worship and blowing it up because um, it just was something worship here is changing forever. And here is Jesus talking to this woman. We find this in John 4. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. And then he says this, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, we can worship anywhere, anytime, and you and I do the worshiping. We don't have someone do it in our behalf, and it's no longer about when and where. It's about who and how. Worship changed at that point from a ritual in a fixed location to an attitude in a living heart. It stopped being, I mean, it changes from virtual to real. It changes from liturgy to, to actually living it out, and, and it changes from a formula to a response. Today, we're going to move from all of that. With That's been our basis where we've been so far. We're going to move from that, and we're going to be in Romans chapter 12. Now, the book of Romans is um, widely considered, I think, by theologians and preachers, people who study the words of God, it's probably the, the, the greatest explanation of Christian doctrine anywhere in all of scriptures, the book of Romans. And, um, and Paul lays out in, in very orderly and logical fashion, and we'll see some trends um, over the entire book of Romans. It, it lays out all about God's righteousness. Then there's this brief time of, of intense worship. And then the rest of the book talks about our response to God's righteousness. And, and, and God's righteousness, we hear that phrase and we think, yeah, okay, God's righteous. But what he, what, what, what's written in the beginning of the book here really, really underscores what that really means. Here's a 30,000-foot flyover. This is fast. It's like looking out an airplane window going, yeah, there's a town down there. So it's not going to be a lot of granularity in this flyover. But God is righteous in spite of all that happens. He's righteous even though all people are sinful. We see that in verses 1, 2, and 3. Even though God does not punish but forgives um, guilty sinners. We see that in, in chapters 3, through three, 4, and 5. And then even though believers, you know, they turn to God, but they're still not living fully consistent with the righteousness of God. We see that in chapters 6 and 7 and 8. And even though believers suffer, and even though their final redemption is delayed, um, um, and we see that in chapter 8, even though many Jews who were God's chosen people, they did not believe. We see that in chapter 9 and 10 and 11. Even though all of that, God is perfectly righteous. Perfectly righteous. And by his grace, he offers forgiveness. It's not to be understated how righteous God is and uh, how little sometimes we understand that. Then in response to uh, God's righteousness, in spite of all of those things, and his choice to offer salvation to us, Paul shifts to this little passage of worship we find at the very end of Romans chapter 11, starting in verse 33. Now, we're going to get into our passage. This isn't our passage, but we're going to come to it. I want to pray and, and ask the Lord to speak to us. Lord, as we get into your word, help us to see and to understand what it is that your spirit wants to do in this individual heart today, in my heart, in our hearts, Lord. We, we recognize that what we are is your children 
So have your way, Lord. Do what it is you want to do. Build what you want to build in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so now, after all of this description of, of, of the difficult things, but God's still righteous, God's still righteous, God's still righteous, it comes to this culminating point. i got to worship. Oh, how deep are, your, are God's riches, wisdom, and knowledge. How impossible to explain his judgments or to understand his ways. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Now here, looks, these words of worship are just pouring out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has become his advisor? Who has given him something only to have him pay it back? For everything is from him, by him, and for him. Glory belongs to him forever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen. Then the rest of the whole book of Romans talks about, okay, it helps us figure out what it is to live our lives in a pattern consistent with the Lord. And this is key to thriving, not just under stay at home. This is key to thriving as you walk the earth, and that is to figure this out. And so here we go into the the main text of where we're going to be today. And after worship, after chapter 11 and after chapter 12, how to thrive, how to thrive. First point, Christians, we're not like people around us. We're not like people around us. Okay, Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers... By the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, their context is that worship at this point would be an animal was taken to an altar to pay the price in a sacrifice. And um, what Paul is correcting here is he's, 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 he's suggesting, first off, that we no longer take animals to the altar. We don't need to do that anymore. That price has now been paid. We don't do that. We also don't take ourselves to the altar. We don't go do, you don't, you don't, you don't take a human. There's no human sacrifice. There's no, you can't pay the price. Someone else has done this for you. And, and, and so since we can't take an animal and we don't do it ourselves, someone has already done it for us. Our response, okay, is, is to present ourselves back to God as a living sacrifice. It's not like we, we somehow... Um, are going to try and pay this price. This has already been done for us. And, and, and the Lord purchased us on the cross. So we present ourselves as a living sacrifice. And here we go, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world. You know, becoming more and more conformed to the world is, is, is our default. That is the default thing that happens in our lives that we start. And Paul says, Get off that trajectory, he says that. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That's the alternate. The default is to be conformed to the world. That's what will happen to you and me automatically, is to be conformed to the world. The alternate is to get off of that and to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, which is something God does. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. I I love this passage, um, and it's a daily challenge for me. Uh, it's probably a daily challenge for you. Um, if you if you address it, that word transformed by the renewal, the word there, <laughs> kind of captured me a little bit in my studies today. It really means renovate. It's it's it, it implies this. You and I are fixer uppers. <laughs> Do you have the guts to take out a fixer upper? <laughs> the implication here is that we're not okay that the way we are right now, we have been defaulted to conforming with the world. And the world gets in there and it causes erosion and a little bit slips in and a little bit slips in. And that's not okay. 
it affects the way we think. It affects the way we behave. It affects our attitudes. It affects every part of our life. It affects how we love people. It affects how we influence people. It affects everything we do when the world creeps in. And the Lord looks at that and says, yeah, you're kind of like an old house that at one time, you know, here's the thing about a house. You don't remodel, you don't renovate a brand new house. You got a brand new house, everything's perfect. You don't go in there first thing and start demoing out the walls. You demo the walls because things have gotten old, maybe a little creaky, maybe there's some termites down there somewhere, maybe there's some wiring that's old and doesn't really provide safe power. It needs to be renovated. And the Lord is suggesting something to us here. He wouldn't suggest to us that we need some renovation if we were brand new and okay. So, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And, uh, okay, so where to be different than people around us? How are Christians supposed to be different? Great question, great question. question answer number one is, do not be conformed to this world. This word con- conformed literally means pattern after, but, there's this, um, but it's not that direct. It also means that somehow it takes us to this point of completeness, that, that, we're, that we have a goal of trying to be like what we see around us. And the problem with that is that Christians who, who make themselves more like the world become less like God. Sadly, that's the default path for people. You know, it's us choosing to copy. It's, it's, it's us choosing to pattern ourselves into the shape that the world, um, with the way the world wants us to be. There's a lot of influence out there right now to try to get you to think a certain way, to behave a certain way. That's the world's pressure upon you. It's us mimicking what we think is popular. It's us mimicking you know, what's honored and rewarded and, and, and so forth by the world. I mean, the concept today of influencers, internet influencers, people who I don't know what they've accomplished to become influencers, but they somehow are influencers. They take their pictures, they put it on, and they go, hey, look at how things are for me. You should be like this too. That's, it's, that's the world pushing. And, and pattern, patterning ourselves to be more like the world increases the distance between us and God. It creates a greater gulf between us and God. Have you, have you noticed that culture never stands still? It never stays the same? Not even for a moment. It's always changing. It's always moving. And, and our culture has directionality. It's going somewhere. It's worth considering that. You know, I'm not, and I'm not talking here about technology. I'm not talking about science. I'm not, I'm not talking about any of those things. I'm talking about values. I'm talking about character. I'm talking about truth. Those things are moving targets. They never stand still anymore. They're always changing. You know, and Isaiah, I'm not going to go there. This is a rabbit trail that begs for me to go down it, but I'm not going to today. Isaiah talked about it in chapter 5, about a time would be when people would call evil good and good evil. And you find, us all, find that also mentioned in 2 Timothy chapter 3. I, I, let me ask you just this rhetorical question. You know, just ask yourself this question. Is... Is the world becoming kinder or is it becoming more savage? So the Lord tells us, do not be conformed to the world. I think that being conformed to the world would be kind of like holding on to a log that's floating down the river. And the river has current and the, the, the hillsides along the side of the river are steep. And, um, and you know, I'm, I'm going to kind of paint a picture here. I apologize to anybody for whom this might be a painful picture because of experiences that people you know have had on actual rivers. But 
um, you know, the picture here is someone who's being conformed to someone who, who's in the water, just holding on to the log, going with the flow of the river. And all along the way, that you're the, all along the way that you're in the river, you stay in there a long time, all along your body's dangling underneath the log and you're collecting the mud and the muck of the river. The river is, the, whatever the river is, is collecting and it's attaching itself to you. And, 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 and the thing about the river is that it never stops taking you downhill. It keeps taking you lower and lower and lower until it goes as low as it can go. And if you won't let go of the log, you're going you're gonna to go all the way to the absolute lowest elevation possible. And the longer that you hold onto that log, the more river muck you're going to collect that you'll have to deal with later. And the longer you hold on to that log, the greater the, the chances that along the way somewhere you're going to find some log jams. Now, if you know about floating down a river, log jams are the most dangerous place. Because at a log jam, you can get pulled down by the current below the surface of the water and pinned there and never escape. They're just deadly. They're just deadly. And, and here's the thing. Some people run with all their might to jump into the river and hold on to the log. Everything, everything about them is being like the world. They just try as hard as they can. Other people are in the, in the river, and they're not so much trying to, to uh, increase the pace, but they're n neither are they trying to get out of the river. They just hold the log, and they're happy to stay there, floating along, you know, just slowly floating downstream, dissolving, becoming more of the river, becoming a part of the river over time. But the wise person here is listening to what the Lord is saying, and they choose to let go. They choose to get out of the river before it carries them away. Do not be conformed to the world because becoming more like the world is always, 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 100% of the time, a negative trajectory. Always. So how are Christians supposed to be different? One, don't be conformed to the world. Number two, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Here's the thing. God who is the active agent here, transforms us by renewing our mind. That word renovate, you know, um, the, 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 this, is a, this is something that's being done by the Lord. Now, transformed here, the word is actually, um, you'll recognize the word, word it's metamorpho, and it's more, we, get, we get our word metamorphosis from it. The picture here is the transformation of, for example, a chrysalis becomes a butterfly, um, and it's an absolute change that was intended by the original design, okay? The thing is that the, it's, it's, a, it's a miracle. It's a work of God that, that the transformation happens. It's not something where the uh, butterfly sits down and says to himself, hmm, okay, uh, it's still a chrysalis. And think, okay, I, I think I need to turn into a butterfly. How am I going to do that? What do I, what's my first step to become a butterfly? They don't think it through. It's done by the engineer, and that's how this transformation happens, this renewal of our minds. It's done by God, not by you and me. God, and in this process, God's renewing of our mind corrects, corrects our understanding, our, our thinking power relating to moral activity. You know, it's, it's, there's something that needs to be re renovated when we've become like the world when it comes to our moral thinking. What is morally okay? What is right? 
that's off bubble some, and the Lord wants to correct that. That's, that's what this renewing and this, this transformation takes place. And the thing is that you and I cannot do it by ourselves. You can't do this on your own. You can't just decide, okay, I'm going to become, I'm going to correct. And, and that's why when you see people who don't know the Lord and are passionate about something, and they're not necessarily meaning to, to be evil, they don't see it. They don't get it. They don't understand it. And they need to have their minds renewed. They need to be transformed. And this is something that only God can do. And the Lord transforms not only the will and the power to do it, but he gives us the intellect to discern it, to see it. I, can still, I'm, I still can remember some of my before Jesus days of my life. And one of the, um, <laughs> probably the biggest regret of my BC days, and I don't feel condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. But I look back at this with real regret um, at a time when in our state, this is back in the 70s, before abortion was legal and our state legislature was, um, was about to pass the law and the night that they, that the, 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 I think it was the Senate, passed the final vote to make abortion become legal in the state of Washington, I was sitting up in the gallery that night. I was an adolescent and I thought, wow, yes, this is good. And, um, and I thought, how progressive of me, how, how, how liberal and how wise this is for me to realize that this is, this is progress for people. Now I look at that and I think, I, I, just, I, I have a very clear stance. I really don't think that abortion is righteous. And um, I'm not going to get down into the weeds with you on that and talk about, well, the life of the mother and so forth. If something like that was to happen, I mean, that's, uh, that's, I don't want to be distracted by that. But elective abortion, what I thought was, was good and was helpful for people, I just didn't see it. I, just didn't, I needed to have my mind renewed, something that only God can do. It's not the ability of people to persuade us. It's something about the Lord renewing and renovating. And so becoming more like Jesus is always, always, always a positive trajectory. Now, let me pause for a minute, because I just talked about a very, very tender subject. And I want to say to all of you who have, have been in the arena of walking through that very tender subject, that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who love God, to those who follow Jesus. There is no condemnation. Please don't feel condemned. The Lord knows you, loves you, and will forgive those things. You just have to ask. You just only have to ask. And... The decisions that we've made in the past, there are, that's not the only topic. There are lots of decisions that people make in the past and they look back with regret. But our king is a big God and he sees past our failures and he wants to, to build our success. Jeremiah 29, 11 promises us that. Okay, so don't be condemned by that. Anyway, so becoming more like Jesus is always a positive trajectory. More like the world, downhill. More like Jesus, uphill. So what's this transformation going to involve? Okay, a couple of simple things. One really obvious, first one, being transformed by God involves salvation. Salvation, getting to know the Lord as your King and Savior. Second Corinthians um, puts it like this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. It's wonderful. Now, by the way, some people see this as a formula and they just stop right there. They, they, they just stop right there and they keep on riding the log. Keep on riding the log. If that's you, maybe what you did was recite a, a prayer 
you did a check mark, but you never really opened your heart to the king for salvation because transformation also includes the number two, a genuine openness to God's will, which, by the way, God's will is always found in God's word. So um, here's an example of, of uh, a great example of an open will towards openness to God's will. Um, the, 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 the apostles were going around and they were spreading the gospel. In some places, they were, it was received better than others. In a place that, um, the, where people called, that, were, that were called the Bereans lived, here's what Scripture says about them. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the Scriptures daily to find out whether these thing, things were so. Two things there. They showed up for church and said, okay, I'm really ready to hear from the Lord. And then they went back and verified that what they heard was really in agreement with God's word. That's the responsibility of every son and daughter of the king. You shouldn't just accept the things that Pastor Terry says or anybody else says to you are in the word of God. You need to have a growing understanding of the scriptures yourself because you need to receive it with all readiness and then go to make sure that those things are so. It's really, really a good balance because here's the thing about having your mind renewed. You might start thinking that, well, this, this is my renewed mind and I'm going to go this direction. Find out if it's the Lord by verifying whether it's in his word or not. Because God's word is God's will. Look at Psalm 33, 11. I'm going to keep moving here. When God renews our mind, you know, it will change our worldview It'll change our priorities, it'll change our values, it'll change our agendas. And God's renewal um, of our mind will produce some other things that you'll like. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against those things there is no law. Okay, so Galatians 5. And, And here's what a renewed mind might start to look like. And here's where the passage takes us next. Verse 3. For by grace, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. He's talking now about our hearts and towards other people. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same functions, so I've got thumbs and elbows, and they do different things. They're both important. Um, So we... Though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, that's why the church needs all of us. It needs me, it needs you, it needs all of us because we all have different functions and we're incomplete without the functions of all of us. Verse 6, having the gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So be what the Lord made you to be and be that. Don't don't apologize for it, but be it, be it. So how is a renewed mind different? Okay, so we're not conformed to the world, we're being transformed, and then the next one is humility. We see a whole passage talking about the attitude of humility, starting in verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. 
Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one for evil, or no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. That's hard. Think about the the decisions you make that are going to be seen by other people. Try to do what's honorable to all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Okay, so when you have a conflict with someone, it takes two people to tangle. I get that. And sometimes there will be people who just will not reconcile. But so much as it it depends upon you, do everything you can to live at peace with all people. That's a great passage. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it's written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now listen, don't be overwhelmed by this passage. This is a journey. Um, you know, remember, there is therefore now no condemnation. Because I, I look at that list and I think, okay, that one, yep, nope, not so much in the next one. Oop, not very good on that one. I look down that list and I'm not really happy with my grades sometimes. And God understands that we're on a journey and, and hopefully we're more like Christ today than we were yesterday. Tomorrow, hopefully, you'll be more like Christ than you were today. This passage is, is not written like some kind of a math formula. You know, if you do this, then that. It's more like us choosing the kind of road that we want to travel on. Here's what I mean by that. Lisa and I... Um, sold our home in Olympia and bought some property closer to the church and built a house. And it's been a long process. And, and uh, we live on a piece of property that required a long winding driveway to get to the house from where the property starts. And um, it's a long winding uphill at times steep road goes up a hill and it's been gravel. And in fact, it's so steep that at times our car, other cars, trucks, they would spin and I spent a lot of tractor time trying to get rid of potholes, never successfully getting rid of them. And it's bumpy, and it's dusty, and muddy, and, but it gets us up to the house, and so it was a necessary thing. Um, and um, finally, finally, the Lord um, made way for us, and we finally got the driveway paved. It's like a different universe for us, between bumps and potholes and constant patches and repairs to just smoothly going up the road. We kind of get to pick the journey that we travel in some ways, you know. When you agree to be transformed by God, you, you don't create as many potholes in your own pathway as you did before. The more you agree to be transformed by God, it's a smoother ride. It just is smoother. All your problems don't go away, but there's something about knowing that in spite of mistakes, that the king somehow has is, is ordering your steps, and you'll find your way smoother. Okay, then the last thing, lastly, the last uh, thing with renewal, number four, we have this new realization of God and his characteristics. Now, I'm going to wrap this up um, uh, and do a flyover of Colossians chapter three, and I'm not going to preach this passage word by word. In fact, I, I don't want to under-teach the topic, um, I, but I really believe that what we've covered so far today is going to be plenty. Um, and it needs some room, I think, to breathe in your soul. It needs room to breathe in my soul. So, um, and I encourage you, maybe this is homework if you can do it, but in the next week or so, would you take some time and just read Romans chapter 12 
and Colossians chapter 3. Two great chapters. Then the Lord will speak to you. I promise he will. Let his spirit just speak to you privately. Um, and so, but let's fly over them for right now. Okay. Um, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. If, if, you, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is, is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Skip down to verse 10. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. That's being renewed. That's being transformed. And this passage goes on to a whole list of topics to consider, and then we're going to, get down, we're going to drop down to verse 14. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So please, would you just spend just a little bit of time this week, Romans chapter, uh, chapter 12 and Colossians chapter 3. And um, remember as you're reading those things, Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation. Don't, the Lord doesn't expect you to already have these things wired. He's, 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 he knows this is a process. Being renewed by God instead of being conformed to the world is, is how we're not like those around us. Then through... Renewal, instead of seeing how overwhelming our circumstances might appear, we start to begin to focus on the goodness of God. That, that same great God that laid um, the foundations of the earth and heaven, he's the same one that's giving his strength and um, a strength to, to thrive. So I want to pray with you. And in this prayer, I want to go back to one of the steps and offer to people who don't know the Lord. I want to offer you the opportunity to follow him as, as Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Lord, um, I, I, I just ask you to, your spirit, if you would have your spirit speak to people who need to come to the king. Lord, your word tells us that no one comes unless the Father draws him, and we're praying that that will be happening now in hearts. There could also be people who have had the pretense of, of, of being your follower, but never, they recited a prayer, but they never really opened their heart to you as king. I, I, I just thank you, God, that you, you will go after them one more time. While we're in this prayer and Christians are praying, I just want to speak to any of you who don't know the Lord and you want to know the Lord or those of you who are thinking, you know, I really need to be serious with the Lord, and I haven't been. You know, it's, it's almost a picture here for me is almost like Jesus standing in front of hell with his arms like this saying, please don't go past me. It's like that's what his position was on the cross. Don't go past me into hell. And it's like he, Jesus made a comment about this. He said, wide is the road, and many are on it, that leads to destruction. Few are on the road, and narrow is the path. Few who find it that go to heaven. And he laid out the way to heaven. He, he said, I, 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 enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And, and there are many who go in, but because the narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. So I invite you now, 
to go on the way to heaven, and that is Jesus Christ. Lord, speak to hearts right now and fill them with life and with encouragement. Lord, show them the way that you are the, the way, the truth, and the life, that there is no one, no one comes to the Father except through, through you. I pray, God, that there would be something of independent courage that would rise up in their souls today and say, okay, I am going to call in the name of Jesus for salvation. There's a button at the bottom of the page that you can push, and someone will pray with you. We're not trying to get you to join. We just, we just care for you. We care for you and your eternity, and we just would want to pray with you. You can do that, or you can share it with someone, or let us pray with you. And then, Lord, for all of us, God, I pray for a transformation, a renewal of our minds, Lord, that instead of the ways that we continually would be pulled to conform to the world, help us, Lord, to get off of that and to get on to what it is that you want to miraculously do in us. Lord, I pray for families and for individuals who are discouraged by the separation caused by the stay at home. I ask you, Lord, to help us to walk into thriving as we, as we press towards you and as we try to become more like you. I pray these things in Jesus' name.